You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for joining me, Sharon Noonan, for tonight's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Before I tell you what's coming up on tonight's show, here's how you can contact me. Drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, which is short for organisation. I love getting your feedback and comments as well as your reviews, recipes and news. Okay, back to what's coming up on tonight's show. If you're striving to reduce your salt intake or simply want to know how to eliminate salt without compromising on flavour. My guest Brian McDermott aka the No Salt Chef will be on the phone. Brian is one of the chefs that will be in Croke on Saturday sharing his culinary expertise at the Ballycannon Food and Garden Festival and Dermot from DM Garden Centre will be in studio to tell us more about that event. If you're a fan of the potato and heading to Bally David this weekend to celebrate it Geraldine has a report from the parish competition and I'll be talking to Aoife Cox who blogs as the daily spud but first it's summer and that can only mean one thing for the avid cook barbecuing and if you're in the market for a new set of equipment we have some good advice from our first guest tonight Liam from a room outside Bon appétit Yummy Grubs up Delicious Mmm now, with the fine weather, it's barbecue season, and if you don't have one already, you might be in the market to buy one. So, Liam Whelan from A Room Outside joins us to give us a bit of help about what we should be looking for. Welcome to The Best Possible Taste. Hi, Sharon. How are you doing? Now, tell us, Liam, when researching what sort of barbecue to buy, what should people be looking out for? Well, number one, I suppose, when people come into the shop, the first question I would ask them, do you like gas or do you like charcoal? And when we talk about charcoal, we talk about lumpwood charcoal, which is real timber that's charred. And this gives you really, really good flavours. So really is to find out what the person is looking for. If they're looking for something really, really handy, uh, we have some very nice, neat, small gas barbecues. Um, If they're only going to do the odd barbecue now and again, maybe once a month, that's the best thing to buy, yeah? I suppose the major advantage of having a gas barbecue is the instant heat you turn it on you turn it off and that's it yeah and that's the perception um but charcoal barbecues are actually very easy to light if you have a chimney starter uh, a chimney starter is like a chimney um, where you put a lighter underneath it you put your charcoal inside and you light this and because it's now enclosed in this starter it can light up in 10 minutes so now you can pour that into your barbecue and start cooking straight away most good quality uh, charcoal barbecues also have very good air controls on them. So you can open up the air, let the air through it, and now the temperature comes up really fast. If you have temperature control on top of the lid, you can then adjust that air control to get the exact temperature you want to cook at. A lot of people think, you know, in the past we have been cooking very much on open barbecues. What we try to tell people is, you know, if you keep the lid on, now you have it like an oven, but you also have the flavour. And it's also very, very safe, so you cook the food through. Yeah, because it's very much about how you use the barbecue, how the end product turns out, really, isn't it? People don't, you know, a lot of people are just out there grilling food, and there's so much more you can do with them. Absolutely, and and that's, you know, we, we do open days at the shop. I do, you know, I do go to people's houses. I do go to different shows where only where I can cook, so I can kind of explain how to cook well on the barbecue and it's, it, it, it is simple once you know what you're doing because um, most people you know when they cook at home they cook in the oven and they cook at temperature 
Well, it's the very same with the barbecue. You know, you can set your temperature and, you, you know, if you, if it's a gas barbecue, it'll be, have two burners, three burners, four burners. You can actually leave the middle burners off. You can put your food to the outside burners, you can brown it, then you put it back in the center and then you close the barbecue and, and let it cook like it would do in the oven. But the difference is you have the flavor, fantastic flavor altogether. Tell us, what sort of a barbecue do you have at home in Adair? Um, I have uh, have two green eggs. Well, I was just going to ask you now about the big green egg because that's a different barbecue altogether. Tell us a bit about those now. It's a ceramic barbecue, which has quite a thickness of ceramic. They're space-age ceramics, which are made in America. Um, because of the ceramics, it seals the juice of the food in really, really well. So it's number one, it's, 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 it's a smoker, and number two, it's a barbecue. I presume you have barbecues quite a lot at home. Well, if there's a party, it's at my house, yeah. And how many people would you be catering for? Um, I, well, I've cooked, up to, I've cooked up to 80, 120 people lots of times. And what would be on the menu? Um, normally, well, I like doing something like scallops as a starter, um, purely because scallops are prawns. They're, they're very easy to cook, and they cook really, really quickly. Um, and we tend to cook them on a cast iron plate where you just get it really, really hot. And I have um, oil mixed from the night before with crushed garlic. You pour that onto your, onto your cast iron plate, put on your scallops, and straight away you're handing out food to people. They're not waiting around, and that keeps them going. While in the egg, I'd have something like, one of my favourites would be bone and rolled and stuffed chickens. There again, you know, your butcher, your local butcher, they're all very good now. If you go into any butcher shop now, you will see more than half the counter is dedicated to barbecue food this time of the year. Um, and if you ask your butcher, you know, you buy your fresh chicken off him, ask him to stuff it while you're there. He'll stuff it there and then for you. He'll bone and roll it. Um, and you know it's done fresh. Um, and this cooks really, really well in the barbecue. It's still going to take the same time as a normal chicken to cook. It's going to be about an hour and three quarters at, as I say, about 170 degrees. But the difference here is if you cook three or four of them, now you can feed the multitude because it slices so easy and everybody's getting a bit of the breast, they're getting a bit of the stuffing and they're getting a bit of the brown meat. And if there's some of it left over, you can make sandwiches later on or the next day. It just it, For me, that works really, really well at a barbecue. And it's not what people are going to expect because they're going to expect sausages and burgers, whereas this is very, very healthy. Well, you certainly know your craft, talking about all those different types of dishes and, and how you cook them. So when somebody comes into the, the shop, is there a list of questions that you go through to ascertain what exactly their needs are? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, I let the customer do the talking because usually they have an idea of what they want. And, and you know, from what they say to me, I know where to, where to show them, what part of the shop to bring them to. And I, I still will always kind of refer them to the green egg because this is the number one barbecue for us um, but if it's if it's something if they're looking for something really really neat we, we will show them um, we show them the Weber barbecues which are also a fantastic barbecue as well and in terms of safety then what advice do you give to people about safety whenever it comes to using the barbecue be it gas or coal well from 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 a, a health point of view um, the most important thing is to get your barbecue good and hot. I mean, if it hasn't been used for a while, get your temperature up past 100 degrees, up to 150, 200 degrees. At this temperature, no bacteria survives. Uh, bacteria is very dangerous at 60 degrees, but 
once you get those temperatures really, really hot and get, get your tea brush out or your stainless steel brush and give it a good clean, it's very, very safe to use. Um, so the, the, on the other hand then with your gas barbecues, it's the very same thing, you know, get it really, really hot. And you know, um, on the safety end of things with, with the gas, it's just remember to always turn off the gas when you're finished cooking. Um, all good quality barbecues now have, like the push buttons are made that the gas can't leak through. I mean, you have to push the button in for it to release the gas to start it, you know, so you're, there is no fear of, of gas escaping, you know. If you're using a coal barbecue on the beach, what advice would you give? Well, on the beach, it's, 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 it's actually quite safe because you're surrounded by sand, you know, so you're not, there's not very much to go on fire, you know, in this situation, but um, re- really um, the main thing is to make sure that when you're finished cooking, that the barbecue has gone out and it's left safe because a lot of people use disposable barbecues when they go to the beach. But nowadays, you know, there is so many um, portable barbecues available, um, which are very lightweight to carry to the beach, and you can, they're both in gas and charcoal. Um, and these range from 39.99 up to about 200 euros. Because with those portable or those disposable barbecues that you're talking about, they're in that foil type container and people might think, well, you know, that's fine. Put that up in the wooden table and it's going to be perfectly safe. And I have discovered that is not no. the case. No, the reality is it gets extremely hot underneath because that's where the charcoal is. So, yeah, I mean... That's why I say on the beach are quite safe because you can put this into a sand pit and it will actually be quite safe. But you know, put that up on on, on, on a sand dune where there's grass and it's very dry this time of the year. Now you could start a fire very easily. Okay. You know? All right. Well, you mentioned there that you do classes in the in the shop. Just give the website address there for your business. www.aroomoutside.ie So all the details are there of the types of barbecues that you do. And if you have events coming up, you probably post the details there as well. We also have a Facebook page as well. Yeah. And all, all, any events that are coming up will be on our Facebook page. So people can go in and you're there on hand to give any advice necessary. Yes. That's great. Liam, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleite. So we've just heard from barbecue expert Liam from a room outside and barbecue has featured a few times in the show. Thanks to Brandon O'Connor of Barbecue Joe's and chef Chad Byrne had a few tips when he was in studio a few weeks ago talking about cooking in a mobile home. I suspect that salt is a key ingredient for many of us when barbecuing and indeed when cooking in general. My next guest is striving to change our attitude to the use of salt, hence his name, the No Salt Chef. Next up, it's Brian McDermott. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. You'll have seen my next guest on RTE's Today Show and Brian McDermott says, I cook clean and honest food with no hidden ingredients. Instead of adding salt, I use herbs and spices that complement but don't overshadow the main dish. And for this reason, he's known as the No Salt Chef. Good evening, Brian. Good evening, Sharon. How are you? Welcome to Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102. It's a pleasure. Tell us, what inspired you to take on the No Salt Chef persona? Well, it's actually, it's very, very interesting, Sharon, because um, as a professional chef for about 18 years, which means that we're all taught, um, all of us chefs in Ireland, we're taught classically, which means we're taught with butter, with salt and with creams. And unfortunately, that took its toll on me in terms of health and lifestyle. And 
unannounced to me, I actually developed um, quite serious cardiac issues and, and had a heart attack, believe it or not, at 33 years of age. So I think um, when you look at it and you're in coronary care and you ask yourself the question, you know, what could have caused this? And, and you do look at everything. You look at everything from hereditary problems right through. But the big thing that came out of it for me was um, the usage of salt and just really as chefs, and more so, um, I even look now at the likes of the retailers and the supermarkets and so on and all the hidden salts that's going into our food in general. So something had to change for me. And the one big thing that I wanted to change was to clean up my diet, clean up my lifestyle. And I started to take salt out of the diet. So what sort of foods would you or dishes would you have been cooking and eating at the time? And how did you change them to such this new diet? Yeah, well, I would have been eating sort of quite typical going back then. I mean, that was five years ago now. Um, and again, um, when you're working in that sort of chefy environment of warm kitchens, white walls and 14-hour days. You know, you sort of, you ate as you went along and, and it was everything from, from picking, you know, high-fat style foods to classical stuff that had creams, butters, pastas and things like that in it. So the big change for me, and, and very interestingly, through the transition period actually was that when you went to change that, you know, I slowly looked at food and I said to myself, okay, when we taste food, how does it work? How do we actually taste food? And if you think about it in its simplistic form, when we taste food, it's our taste buds, our sweet, our sour, our bitter, and that addictive taste bud, which is salt. So I had to try and re-educate my taste buds, and, and everyone can do that. I'll give you some tips in, in a minute. But um, when you try to re-educate your taste buds, for me, it was bringing in the herbs, the freshness. and. Um, I was starting to get flavors that I never experienced before, flavors that were in, like, seafood naturally. You know, we weren't masking it with, with high cream-based sauce and finishing it off with butter anymore. And to me, it was like bringing fresh produce that we could either grow in Ireland, get our hands on locally, and bring that in to complement the, the main dish. So if it was a fish dish, you know, seasoning, to me, is the accompaniment of another ingredient. It's not the salt and pepper that people associate it with. So... There's loads of things that you can do to change and clean up your diet, and that's just some of how, how I did it. Well, whenever you're talking about fish there, there is another high-profile TV chef who, whenever he's doing fish, he's always on about, you must add salt to it. It comes from the sea, even though there is the, the sea salt flavour to it, you must add salt to it. So that's something that you disagree with entirely. I, I would wholeheartedly disagree with it, and I know the individual, and I know him well, Um and, and I think he's actually, if you look at what he's presenting there, you know, fish comes from the sea and it naturally has salt. It has enough salt in there that lets you taste the fish. You know, our body needs an element of salt. That's naturally how we get it. But it's this additional salt, you know. Why Why are we doing that? You know, we're doing it to actually feed our taste bud of salt, the addictive one. Whereas if you look at fish, always gets served with lemon or something acidic. That's for the, the sour taste buds and the sweetness maybe of some you know, peppers in the summer or some onions. There are other taste buds. So, in fact, if you lift them over and above and increase them above salt, salt will start to decrease and then your taste buds will change. And our taste buds do change um, by nature because if you even look at um, how people drink wine, you know, in Ireland 20 years ago, wine consumption was low. Now it's very high. We all started to drink a sweet wine. Now we don't look near those well-known sweet brands. We actually go for more acidic flavours. Those sweet brands are still on the shelf, but in fact, our taste buds have actually changed. So you can train your taste buds to change. So what's your view of these new flavoured salts that are coming in now that are flavoured with the herbs or the different spices? I think, well, my opinion on them personally is that they're not something that I'm going to look at in terms of a seasoning mechanism. You know, we're 
seriously caught up in salt being the only type of seasoning. Salt traditionally was used to preserve food, you know, as a way of preserving it in, in years gone by. There's loads of other ways to season up your food with your fresh herbs, your citrus fruits, all of that, even something as simple as a soup. You know, why would you just put in salt that's maybe flavoured with a basil when you could put in lovely fresh basil that's releasing the aroma? All you're doing is, again, and I'm sorry for repeating it, but you're actually feeding your addictive taste bud of salt. So think of food now. It's very, very simple. And as cooks, remember, everyone is their own cook, their own chef in their own home. All we actually do is we apply heat to very fresh produce so anyone can achieve simple little steps to clean up both their diet and eat better for less money. So you said there that you have some tips for us. Do you have specific herbs that you feel go better with certain foods, for example, like fish or meat? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny you mention it because um, I started to grow a lot of herbs as well. And I've developed little rules and, and rules for me come from experience. You know, I wouldn't talk about the use of an ingredient unless I knew it inside out or very, very well. And a couple of simple rules I have personally with herbs. If you look at herbs, there's there's really two classification of herbs. There's what, what I call the woody textured herbs, which is the, the tougher herbs like your thyme, your lemon thyme or your rosemary. And then there's the light leafy herbs like your basil, your parsley, your sorrel, your coriander. So the main rule I would have is if it's woody textured herbs, get them in early in the cooking because they can withstand more cooking. If it's the light leafy herbs, put them in at the very, very end. And a great example of that is maybe you're going to make a tomato and basil soup now in the summer. Don't put your basil in at the start. Develop your soup, develop your tomato flavour, and then just chop your basil in at the very end. And that releases the lovely aroma um, of the basil oil because it's a light leafy herb. Then it's going to give you more of the flavour and the herbs are not going to turn black. And you say it's important to put that in at the end as opposed to the, the start of the dish? It is with your, your light leafy herbs and even with the uh, herb that would complement fish. I mean, I love, I love chives chopped onto fish. I love the uh, fennel. I love dill. I love parsley when it's chopped up nice and refined. They just, those light leafy herbs do not, cannot withstand long periods of cooking in hot temperatures. So that's the rule. Remember the light and leafy at the end and the woody textured put in early. And please no more than about three herbs because a mixed herb recipe for me, again, is absolute nightmare because what you'll get with mixed herbs is that you'll get them fighting against each other in terms of the flavour. So less is more with food, less is more with herbs in general and if you're going to make a tomato and basil soup that's what you want to taste. Those two main key ingredients. The rest of them is there just to complement and assist the flavour. You're based in County Donegal, Donegal in Moville in Inishowen and you have a cookery school there so you obviously use that as an outlet to impart all this new knowledge that you want to share. Yes, Sharon, I've been very, very lucky, actually. Um, well, no, lucky in a number of senses in that I do consider that the best thing ever happened to me was taking the heart attacks because it allowed me to clean up my diet and lifestyle. But more importantly, um, it's allowed me to hopefully prevent a lot of other people and young males and, and anyone of a younger age really to start cooking in a lovely, positive way. And the platforms that I can do that now on is, as you rightly said, first and foremost is at our cookery school um the BrianMcDermott.com cookery school up here in Inishone in Donegal. And then, thankfully, in the last 12 months or so, we've the huge media platforms, including um, Lucky Enough to get the Today Show um, with Dahi O'Shea on a regular basis as well. So for me, that's just allowing me to reach that message about no salt and reducing salt and tips and techniques to improve your health and well-being through your diet across the whole of Ireland. And you're actually going to be in West Limerick. At the end of June, you're going to be at the D&M Garden Food and Garden Fair. 
So tell us what people can expect at that. Well, do you know what? I'm actually very, very excited about that because I went um, to D&M Garden Centre about two years ago and did a demonstration and it got a huge reaction in that area in general. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's one day of not just food. We're bringing in producers. I'm going to showcase local produce. I'm going to be doing three to four demonstrations throughout the day, all on the no-salt um, strategy and, and practicalities of it that I have in mind. So I would encourage people to get along because it's actually going to be a family day of a lot of interactive stuff and cooking will be the main core part of it so come along say hello you'll get recipes tastings and see the whole no salt approach in action and in the meantime your website address is the no salt if anybody wants to log on there and get more details about yourself and your your cookery school that you have there and uh, we look forward to welcoming you to west limerick on saturday the 28th of june i look forward to it myself thank you very much sharon You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Thanks again to Brian for taking the call and full details of Brian's visit to West Limerick this weekend are coming up later in the show when I'll be talking to Dermot from D&M Garden Centre. Before we get to that, it's time to hear what Jerlene O'Sullivan has been up to in County Kerry. Now, Geraldine O'Sullivan brings you some tasty treats from the kingdom. Now, everybody in Ireland loves potatoes, as we all know, and some people back in West Kerry decided to make a festival out of it. So I'm joined now by Angus Murphy, who was the creator of the Spudmore Festival uh, that runs in Valley Davis. Welcome, Angus. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about um, how you came up with the idea to set up the festival? Okay, so it happened fairly innocently. Um, we moved down here to live in Maria Carey about seven years ago and coincidentally our son moved down at the same time uh, and the first year we were here we both sat planted potatoes in our gardens so uh, he was mocking me that his spuds would be better than mine and all that so at the time there was a lot of cook-offs and bake-offs and things like that on, on the television so we decided we'd have a, a spud-off and we had it in our house and it was just like him and me and uh, my wife and my daughter and a friend of hers were blindfolded in fact and uh, so they tasted the spuds and uh, his won but there's a, a, an outstanding dispute in that he kept me waiting 25 minutes and I reckon my spuds were not at their best so we were back in the pub then that night and uh, chatting to people in the pub and uh, everybody was saying that their spuds would win any competition so we decided then that the next year we'd have a local competition for anybody that grows spuds. But at that stage it was just the, the, the villages of Maria and Bally David. So it, we had that and it was like very successful. And then uh, other people decided that they wanted to participate in it. So the next year then uh, we decided to have an inter-parish competition. And I think... Uh, so that's the second year of it. Uh, about, I'd say, five or six parishes participated in it. And then every year it's kind of grown and grown. And uh, two years ago we added a national schools part to the competition because the, the kids grow spuds in school 
and just to kind of recognize that and uh, have, the, have it reflected in the competition. And at this stage now, there are eight parishes and about six schools. So I suppose in total there would be maybe 150 people uh, like participating as uh, contestants in, in the competition. Or that would include like classes, in individual years in the national schools and uh, individual growers then. So that's where it's at at the moment. I'm Louise McIntyre and I live at Coors, Bally David. Yeah. You're one of the judges here tonight. I am. And can you tell us the criteria that you were marking the spuds on? Uh, the taste and the smell was really the most important. It didn't really matter how the potato looked, but it had to taste good and it had to smell nice. I'm the best one I ate completely out. Hi, I live here from Mortimer, Balnanal. And what did you think of this buds on sample now here? Tonight? Very, all very different, I must say. Very different to look at and to taste. Um, I go more so for the, the look and the taste. So there was a good few of them that I that I that I liked. There was a few that I didn't like. But I've, I've been doing this for two years. This is my third year, I think, doing this. So. So your experience. I'm kind of. A, can you get used to the spuds now at this stage? She practiced at home first. <laughs> I like potatoes, this is I know a lot about them because my mother used to always say, That's that potato, that's this potato, that's dry potato. This is what you know when I was growing up so there was a big thing in potatoes in our house when I was growing up. Do you pay a lot of attention to it? I do potatoes. pay a lot of attention to it. I had no choice with my mother. <laughs> she was a real connoisseur in potatoes. So you, you come from a long line of potatoes. Yes, kind of yes, know all of their names and everything, yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. I'm John, John Sheehy. Where are you from? I, I'm from Ardenor, you know married to Eileen. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. It's a husband and wife. Uh, so double, double trouble. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of the one that won for you, was that? did you know that straight away, the winner? The one that came out with the uh, most No, I was between two minds, between two, the, two of, of the potatoes. But I eventually plumped for one. Yeah. Yeah. But it was between those two more so than the rest, I thought. Than the rest, okay. yeah. So they yeah. kind of stood out. For there you. Were, yeah, there's a very big difference in the taste and the smell and the look, of course. You, Sarah, the final judge on the team. I was called in. I thought it was between three of them. So there were six here that we tasted now tonight. So yeah. there were three kind of ones that you thought were yeah. in the running. Yeah. yeah. And was there a clear winner for you? Do you think? Not really, no. Well, the, the last, I thought the last one was the, if my taste goes uh, anything, it was a home guard, I think. And the other one was Queen's, and the Queen, by and large, is tastier. Just as a variety? Yeah. yeah. And you grow potatoes yourself as well? I do, yeah. So you know all the hard work that goes into them? I know, you don't know how to plant them and, uh, and watch, your, watch your garden grow as this. Yeah. Joined by Jim Bin and Podrick, who are former contestants in the Spudmore competition here in Valley David. Now, last year, Jim Bill was the winner. How do you think you won last year, Jim Bill? I think it was the, the quality of the potatoes that I had. And, uh, they were all good, actually. There was uh, a lot of experts on potatoes in, the, in West Kerry. 
and uh, I, I was just one of the people that was in there, so I was lucky to come out. Padraig, uh, he's, he's, he was in it last year. What was your technique now to try and get the winning spot? What did you do, Padraig? Try and set them early and just try and take care of them. I used a lot of seaweed in the, in the ground and which salts the earth and keeps snails and worms away and um, try and weed them well and just look after them and um how often would you have to go up to them during the growing season? Well, uh, they want to be sprayed every every ten to twelve days, and they want to be they want to keep in the weeds. The weeds grow faster than the potato itself, so you want to look after the potato itself. But it does involve work. You have to put work into it, yeah. You do, it's, and especially with us, with our tractors and machinery, they do it all by hand. There's a lot of work in it, and um, but there's no spot ever tastes better. And when you set, and when you dig the yourself, when you grow yourself yeah. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no, nothing could, nothing could replace that. Yeah. And I came third last year, but it was Jim came first. I was beating my better man, and I have no problem saying that. But uh, I enjoyed mine better than I enjoy his because yeah. I grew my own. Of course, you know all the hard work that went into it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I saw them growing, and it, it just. But it's a labour of love, is the best way to put it. It's a labour of love. Now I'm joined by Brendan O'Connor Corr, and he is the organiser here in Bally David and Begley's pub. Can you tell me a little bit about the organisation of the competition here tonight? Well, first of all, we had to kind of decide kind of who has grown the potatoes around in the area. And uh, then I call around to each one just to make sure that they have potatoes for the night. And uh, just organise with their publican just to organize the air the, the pub for it and then organize the judges i have to get five judges this year now i had a few judges two different judges like yourself Geraldine. guest judge that's right yeah. and uh, and after that then it's just down to the judges and just to put in the score come on let's kill come on let's kill no more the one no more the one thumb to it again um so cheer what Podic Forge. So Tamad, Colum Grommel. I was on Botol, Tiggy Vagley, Packy Begley. Patrick Begley. Patrick Begley. So you're the winner tonight now of the Spudmore competition here in Begley's Bar. So you're going to progress now to the final. That's right, yeah. So tell us about your spuds. What variety were they? Queens, British Queens. So I was half thinking of putting in um, Shops Express, which I grow as well. But they were slightly immature, so I went for the Queen. I'm organic. I, I to be a bit more work on the organic potato. Like. And where do you live yourself? Where's your place for growing up uh, Up near Kilmilkeda Church, a village called Cahar Dargan. There's a real old style there from the, the farm that had the house before me. He worked it there, he had a small cow house there. Then he went into chickens, so over years and years and decades of manure in it. I'm reaping the benefits. You're reaping the benefits <laughs> of all that That's good side. How do you feel about winning here tonight now? I'm surprised. That's, uh, I didn't think I'd do, to be honest with you. Uh, Jim Bill was there, a tough competition, and Colm Grummel, a good potato grower as well, and my neighbour, Seamus Welch, was a very good gardener. We thought he'd win it. He put in a potato called Monica or something. I was sure he'd get it. 
And will there be a lot of competition oh. between you? Always, yeah. He's coming down every year. That's, that's the second time I've beaten him now. I reached the final before. Last year I was knocked out here by Jim Bill. Oh, I'm back again. So I'm joined now by Angus Murphy, who was the creator of the Spudmore Festival. The grand final is on Sunday, uh, the 29th. Uh, so uh, there's a number of parish finals yet to be done next Friday and next Saturday. And then on Sunday is the grand final. So we'll have nine contestants, nine judges, and uh, the winner, the Leacon Prother, the Spud champion, as we call it, will be selected. And what's the prize? Honour and glory. Yeah. <laughs> no <exactly>. money. <laughs> yeah, no so cheque, no money. Yeah, yeah. Well, best of luck yeah. now next okay. weekend for the, the grand final. Yeah. And, Unfortunately, uh, I never feature very well myself. <laughs> I'll have to come back and get yeah. some of the, the winning spots anyway. Oh, right, we might send them up to you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Sounds and you're very welcome, and thanks for coming down and doing the show. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. So from Geraldine's report in County Kerry back to County Limerick, we heard Brian McDermott, a.k.a. the No Salt Chef, earlier in the show and what we can expect to see him cooking up in Croke this Saturday. But let's have a chat with Dermot from DM Garden Centre to find out more about the Ballycannon Food and Garden Festival. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Dermot, thanks for joining me this evening. You're here to tell me more about the Ballycannon Garden and Food Festival that's on this Saturday. I am indeed. This is uh, something we were thinking about for a good good few years. We always had an open day, but uh, we said we would change it. So I I was friendly with the chef, Brian McDermott. He's he's the Northside chef. So he suggested having a festival, gardening and... uh, Food festival. So we thought about it and we worked on it. And at this stage now we have it put together. So this isn't the first time that he's no, been to West Limerick? It's our third time, but we were forced to bring him. And he, and he was only starting out at the time. And he's very well known now because he's, he's on TV. He's on with Tahi O'Shea. With that, we, 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 we moved from there. And then I got on board to Taste of Kerry. Taste of Kerry chef is... That's Mark Doe from Just Cooking. Tinker familiar with him. We are, yep. Mark has been on the programme and he's just recently brought out his new book. Geraldine did a report from his launch there a few weeks ago. We have two new books out next Saturday week. Brian McDermott has a book as well. So he's he's coming out to to taste of Kerry, a very good actually. They're bringing 12 stands to us. Mark Doe. Is that all different types of foods then that they're going to be selling? Very good. Most of them carry, taste of carry. Of course, we have Cahill's cheese here from Newcastle West. We were buying wines. Overall, we have 30, 30 stands Saturday week. That's outdoor and indoor. Fantastic. Uh, we, we, we hope to give some money to the Alzheimer's unit in a day at the end of the day. So it is free to go along, is it, and to see the cookery demonstrations? It costs a small fee of five, five euros per adult, and kids are free. Okay, and there's entertainment there for the kids then, there you've is. the bouncy castles. We bouncy and castle. Now we also, I need, need to slip my mind, is we have a cooking competition, the Betty Cannon Chef. That was a cookery competition for 12 to 17 year olds. We have, we have a great response to that. They have to do their menus, uh, explain their dish, where they get their food. Now, all the applications are posted to Brian McDermott. 
and he's going to pick two and we have the competition on, on the day then. Now the prize is they get a weekend in Brian McDonald's kitchen in Donegal, now accompanied by parent, our parents, and they get 250 euros of a cheque from us. And you also have a couple of garden experts, if anybody needs a bit of advice yeah, for the garden. We have the usual man, Charlie Wilkins. He's from Cork. Cork man is going to me now for 25 years. And he's, he's very popular. Now we have a new guy on board this time, is Kieran Burke. He owns a gardening school in, in Galway. Now you can, do, you can do a course in gardening with him through the internet. I can go to college, you, 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 you'll get a college set at the end of it. Course school and music are performing that day as well. And it's all starting at 10 o'clock with yes. the official opening with yes. Brian McDermott. That's right. There's a number of cookery demonstrations. So Brian McDermott himself is doing three cookery demonstrations. Then there's a couple of different gardening talks with the, the two guys you mentioned there. And also Mark Doe then is doing a, um, a cookery demo as well. And when is the winner of the, the school's competition going to be announced? You know, that evening. Okay. At, the, at, the, at, at the, five o'clock the, as you're closing up. As, as we're closing up, yeah. Okay, great. Now, t- tickets are sale at the minute, so anybody that needs a ticket now, they just call to the garden centre or contact the Alzheimer's unit in the day. Or they, they have them as well. And children are free. And children are free and you can buy your ticket on the day. Okay, great. Okay, and it's important to come early. Well, if people want to get more information, it's all on your website there, which is d&mgardencentre.ie. That's right. Dermot, good luck with it all. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. We've just heard about the Ballycannon Food and Garden Festival and the Potato Festival in Bally, David County Kerry. And that reminded me of someone I met last year who is known for her potato expertise. Eva Cox is a food blogger who writes The Daily Spud and she recently returned from a trip to Canada. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. When it comes to discussing the humble spud and its many merits, who better to turn to than the person behind a blog entitled The Daily Spud? Aoife Cox describes Ireland as the spiritual home of the potato and has just returned from a trip to Canada where she was in its very own potato capital, Prince Edward Island. Good evening, Aoife. Good evening, Sharon. Tell us, what was your purpose of your trip to Canada? Um, well, my main purpose was to, as you say, visit Prince Edward Island, which is pretty much the, the spud capital of Canada. They they grow about a quarter of the um, potatoes grown in Canada, even though they're only a, a very small, they're the smallest province there, but uh, they, they grow a, a huge huge amount of their potatoes, and potatoes are very much, they're, they're big business there on the island. And this was an invitation by the Canadian Tourist Association, that's, was that's it? correct, yeah, the, the Canadian Tourism Commission. So, um, yeah, they had brought a few people over to um, go to the different uh, eastern provinces of Canada. So uh, I was the, well, for them, it seemed to be the, the obvious choice to go to Prince Edward Island because of the, the, the flood connection, really. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful opportunity. And what sort of sites did you visit whenever you were there? Well, on the island itself, um, basically, I, m- I met a lot of potato people. So I went to their potato board. Um, so basically, these are the, the people who look after the, the marketing and sales of potatoes for all the different growers in the island. So I met 
with Kendra Mills, who's their marketing director, and we, we, we sat and had a chat about you know, the food business there. And I also went to visit um, a potato farm and talk to a farmer. And they also have a potato museum on the island. So it's a Canadian, it's home to the Canadian Potato Museum. So they have all kinds of artifacts there relating to the food. And they have a cafe where they, they sell potato dishes. And um, so I spent a the morning there. I also went to see their um, seed bank, which is where they would grow different um, varieties of seed potato and, and seed stock um, that they would supply to the various growers on the island. Um, so yeah, so there's a, a, lot, a, lot of, uh, a lot of potato information gathered over the period. And is the objective then that you will write about this and raise awareness about the potatoes coming from Canada? Um, well, really, the objective is more, I suppose, from the, the Canadian tourism point of view. It's, it's you know, a general um, awareness of, of Canada and Eastern Canada and the different things that the, the, the various provinces there have to offer. Now, in the, the case of Prince Edward Island, um, obviously, I had a, a particular interest in, um, in the potato side of, the, side of it. So I will be writing a series of posts on my blog just about, about that, but also bit more generally about Prince Edward Island and what I guess what there is to do and see there because they, they, they do have some other things going on other than potatoes so it's a very big um, they're very big on seafood they have a huge um, oyster and mussel industry there as well lobster is very big so um, so th- those those things will will factor into it too tell me when did this love affair with potatoes start well I guess um I've, I mean, I've been writing the blog for about five and a half years now. Um, now, I was, I was eating potatoes for a long time before that. Um, but, and, and I mean, I grew up in what you, you might say, you know, typical Irish family. I did, you know, eat a lot of potatoes <laughs> as growing up. And my, my parents would have grown um, potatoes in the back garden. And my, my dad was the, the classic, you know, great man for the, for the spuds. Um, but really in terms of writing about it and the blog um, when I started the blog I really wanted to have a you know have a name that distinguished it as an Irish blog um, and so the, the one food that you know you're going to think of and associate with Ireland is potatoes so that's really where that was the genesis of it that's where the name of the blog came from um, I didn't necessarily set out to write about potatoes particularly to begin with but then because of the name I chose um, and then people kind of made that, that really made that association for me and so then I just started to get more and more into the potato side of things and I started to do a regular feature on the blog about potatoes which could have been anything it could have been recipes or about growing potatoes or going to potato events or meeting uh, potato experts um, and it just gradually built up. I just kind of got quite quite into it myself because it's it's actually quite a vast topic. Where um, we certainly don't have the monopoly on spuds in in Ireland. I mean, they're they're grown in, in pretty much every country that you can think of, um, and everybody has it. You know, d- different countries will have different takes on it. So um, and so yeah, I just as I say, just kind of got got more and more into the subject. It's a good job you like them. It is, yes. <laughs> and your background is actually in IT, is that right? That's correct, yeah. 
so in terms of food then is it just that you have a love of food but and you know you're blogging but you're not a, a journalist um well yes yeah, so i suppose my ba- background wise i mean i don't i'm not you know i'm not trained in you know the, the, the food business i suppose you could say um it is just from you know from interest and love of the subject um and i still do some work on, on the the it side which um is my bread and butter um now i have done outside of the blog i have done other um freelance writing so i mean i have written stuff for, for newspapers as well so I mean whether you know, including the Sunday Times yeah, and McKenna to. Guides as well yeah. and you're a member yeah. of the Irish Food Writers Guild so that's, that's you're right, up yeah. there with the best of the best well thanks very much um, and it, yeah it's, it's, it's wonderful to particularly with things like writing for the McKenna's Guides and um, being asked to, to join the Food Writers Guild it's a real um, you know it's, it's, it's a really nice acknowledgement of, of the work I've been doing so I mean I, I haven't specifically trained in journalism and, and this is just something that has, has come out of um, a love of, of love of subject and love of writing about it, I guess. Now, you mentioned there about the IT. You're, you still do some freelance IT work. That's sure. your bread and butter. So does that mean that the blogging isn't enough to, to pay the mortgage? Um, in a nutshell, yes. <laughs> now, the yeah. reason I ask that is, you know, there's maybe somebody listening there who thinking, God, they just love to ditch their dreary job in for blogging on a subject that they love. And would you advise them to do that? Is there a living to be made at it? Um, it would be very hard work. There, to be honest, I think there are very few, relatively speaking, very few bloggers who would make a full-time living out of it. Um, there are some that do. Um, but it, it, it's certainly um, the exception rather than the rule, um, and, and it also depends on what you, you know, how, how you want to approach the blog. If you do approach it as a business, um, and you want to take on advertising and you want to deal with your companies and brands, and you know, I mean, you, you can go that route. It's still it's it's, it's hard graft, <laughs> um, and so yeah, it, it's, for for the moment for me, it's been. Kind of, the, the easier way to pay the mortgage is to, to keep on the, the IT work. So I still do that a few days a week and then the, the rest of the time or as much time as I can give over to the, the, the writing and food side of it, I, I, I do. But um, yeah, like bills, bills have to be paid. So You have lots of recipes up there. Now, what would your favourite potato dish be? Um, I do get asked this quite often and... God, I'm so unoriginal, aren't I? Sorry, no, 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 no. Um, and, and the answer that I, you know, that I always give is, um, you know, new potatoes straight out of the ground, steamed bit of butter. Um, it's really hard to beat that, especially if you've if you've grown your own. Um, there's nothing like the, you know, the the, the super fresh spot out of, out of the ground. Um, that that'll always be hard to beat. Um, outside of that. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm very fond of a roast potato, I have to say, and uh, it's a subject that has come up quite a lot on the on the blog. I mean, every well, certainly every Christmas, there's, there's always something, something to be said on the matter. But. And what's the best potato to use for roasting, in your opinion? My favourite uh, are Golden Wonders of the of the stage here because they're 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 a very dry potato, and so they they will they, the crust will really kind of crisp up nicely. Um, so yeah, they're they're my favourite. You also have lots of nice photographs there. You've some beautiful photographs from Ballymaloo Lit Fest. Do you feel that the photography is a very important part of having a good blog? Um, 
you know, the, the, the internet, it does tend to be, it's a very visual place. Um, people are so kind of, there's so much information coming at you from, from all sides. I mean, with, particularly with, you know, not just blogs, but social media. And so things that are visually eye-catching, it's just, it's kind of like it's an easier and quicker way for people to absorb information. And it's, it's attractive as well. So I think, you know, a lot of people with any kind of, particularly if it's a recipe, um, you know, they, they like to see what they may get at the end of it and it's, you know, maybe that may sway the decision of whether they're going to actually try something out or not. Um, you know, a lot of people just don't, either don't have the time or don't take the time to kind of, like, just read through a lot of text on the screen. So I think for, for blogs, I mean, again, there absolutely there are exceptions, but um, it does, I think it's very helpful to have some nice pictures in there and it also, just the way people read things on screen, if you have pictures to break up the text it's just it's, it's easier to, to look at it well obviously people have liked it because you were twice named best food blog at the irish blog awards and uh, i'm sure that's not the last award that it will win <laughs> thanks for sharing Aoife, thanks for chatting to us this evening cheers chin chin salut schleiter so we're putting a quick call into Chef Tom Flavin now. Tom, how does it feel to be the best chef in Limerick? Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm delighted to, to get it second year in a row. But as I said before, there's there's a lot of other chefs in, in Limerick that are just as good as me and that work just as hard as we do here in the Strand. So, yes, I'm delighted to, to receive the honour again this year. You're very modest, Tom. And that award, of course, was from the Restaurant Association of Ireland Irish Restaurant Awards there a few weeks ago. And you were actually doing the fish dish on the night. That's right. We were up in Dublin on Monday night. Um, we cooked for seven or 870 people. And yeah, the fish course came from the Strand. We spent days prior to that preparing for it and Palace Foods kindly um, transported all of the equipment and food we needed to Dublin on the weekend. We followed it up on the Sunday, finished off a few things on Sunday and worked all day Monday uh, just to, to get it served, but it worked out well for us. And tell me what you served up. We had marinated trout um, that we did ourselves here. We got from Rennie Cusacks in Limerick. Um, that was marinated for about 48 hours and dyed with beetroot. And we had um, Silver Darling's pickled herring from um, Kirsty and that was part of the dish and also Bergita smoked salmon from the Burn Smokehouse in Clare and Listonverna and we just married the three of them together with some beetroot different types of beetroot we had beet- golden beetroot beetroot puree pickled um, tiger beets and uh, the vinaigrette foam it's quite nice well, I, just bright I saw pictures of it on the night they were being tweeted and there was raving reports about it saying how lovely it was Good. Well, if anybody wants to try it, we're serving it in the restaurant here in the Strand as well. It's just one of the dishes that we have in the restaurant, and I thought it was nice for us to take something from Limerick and the locality to Dublin, because usually with these events, you're kind of confined to, to use the products that they have, but we fought hard to get something that's local to bring it to Dublin for all these people to try. You don't usually have an audience like that to display what you do. And you told me before that you don't get nervous at all whenever you're catering for that number of people. You're well used to it. Yeah, well, we do it a lot. We do it two or three times a year here in the Strand. We can cater for up to seven, eight hundred people. It's just, it's all about being organised. It's about choosing the dish that you're comfortable with, and you know that you know the team that I brought with me were 
I knew what they were capable of. I knew what we were capable of. And we didn't have to depend on anybody. We didn't know to help us. We knew we could produce it ourselves. So it's fine, you know, 300, 900, what's the difference? Now, I'd say whenever you're working like that, you don't really get much time to work out. But did I hear a rumour that you're getting together with a number of chefs in the area to put a team together for a dare to survive in September? That's a rumour that's going around at the moment, all right, yeah. I can't confirm anything. <laughs> I'll just tell the listeners that A Dare to Survive is a 7.5 kilometre military style obstacle challenge that's on in Clonshire Equestrian Centre this September. All for a great cause now, Tom. Yes, I know. I was following it last year on Twitter. I just don't know if I'd be able for it. I've been to Clonshire numerous times, but on horseback, it's a different story when you're <laughs> jumping those fences on your own. Well, we might convince you yet and get all those carbs into you to build you up for it. Tom, thanks for talking to me tonight and congratulations. Not at all. Thank you. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Now it's time to take a look at what's on this week in the world of food and drink and let me tell you there is a busy weekend ahead no matter where you are in the country there is something on nearby. We've heard already about the Ballycannon Food and Garden Festival just down the road in Croke and we also heard from Brian McDermott aka the No Salt Chef who is one of the many chefs doing cookery demos this Saturday. Thanks again to Dermot from DM Garden Centre for coming in earlier to tell us all about that. If you're a regular listener to the programme you'll know that we had Fulcher Ireland's Helen McDade on at the start of the month with details of food events taking place in June and she highlighted a few events including the flavours of Fingal on Saturday and Sunday in the rustic setting of Newbridge House and Farm in Donabate, County Dublin. You can experience family fun and cooking exhibitions and cake bake-offs at that. Also on Saturday and Sunday, Taste of Meath is on in Oldbridge Estate, Drogheda. This is an artisan food event showcasing the best of locally produced foods from the Boyne Valley and County Meath region. The event also features cookery demonstrations from some of the country's best chefs and lots of food stalls. In Ballydavid in County Kerry, there's the annual celebration of the humble potato and its vital role, historical and contemporary. Geraldine reported from the heats earlier on in the show. Central to that festival is the annual Spot Off Moor, where a champion potato grower from across the Dingle Peninsula is chosen. It generates intense competition, which reflects the pride of the growers in their ability. That starts on Friday and runs over the weekend. Then in Westport, the festival takes place the 28th and 29th of June. That's in the grounds of Westport House. Um, And although this is a music festival, there is the Food and Wine magazine Village hosted by Nora Casey. Live demos from some of Ireland's top chefs and some lucky diners will be invited to join the chef's table where they can dine on the gourmet feast prepared. Thanks to everyone who emailed and tweeted me details of events taking place. Please keep them coming. Details of major events can be found on discoverireland.ie forward slash food or catch up on the show from the start of the month on the SoundCloud podcast and have a listen to Helen McDade from Fulcher Ireland. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter.
That's all we have time for this evening on The Best Possible Taste. If you missed any of the programme tonight or a previous one, you'll find it all up on soundcloud.com. Just have a look for Food and Drink Show and you'll see us there. Thanks for joining me tonight to producer Geraldine O'Sullivan and of course all of tonight's guests. Have a great week and until next Tuesday when we return at 8 o'clock for lots more news, reviews and things to do. Bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!